fun. Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Musical the movie the podcast. Musical the movie the podcast. Musical the movie the podcast with Andy and Steph. Sorry, I. Hi, I grew up in a musical family. I don't know if you... That, I just have to sing every time I hear it. I know, you have perfect pitch, so you just have to sing along to any <laughs> note that you Importantly, hear. Importantly, I do not have perfect pitch. Um, wait, I have a question for you, though. Uh, time for a question. Okay. Were you growing up in a, a Beatles family or a Stones family? I grew up in what they call a Garth Brooks family <laughs> uh, in in the South. Um, I get there was I guess some Beatles around. There were some Rod Stewart, some James Taylor around. My mom says that she was too old for the Beatles, and then I should ask her little sister about it. That's and wild so to me. It is. It's a little wild to me because I mean, what is that like? She was maybe in her like mid twenties, and she was like, "Oh, I'm too busy with business to listen to the Beatles." You know what I mean? <laughs> I feel like that's maybe what I'm like with One Direction. Like, I was, like, just too old for One Direction. But, like, yeah, I know about Harry Styles. Right, right. But you grew up in a Simon and Garfunkel family, if I'm not mistaken. I did. But we were also a Beatles family, importantly. Um, which is not, you know, too big of a jump from Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> I mean, also, I would say, importantly, because of Memphis, it was an Elvis family. That is... Um, a thing that I know about you, yes. As Uma Thurman says <laughs> to John Travolta in a deleted scene from Pulp Fiction. But we're not here to talk about that stuff. We're no. here to talk about what did we do on Valentine's Day stuff? We, a lot of people, they go out on romantic dates. They celebrate their love. We said, <laughs> let's fight Have and watch Across the Universe. about Across the Universe. <laughs> this, is, now this is your last uh, pick for your birthday month. It's uh, true. And you... You, you had to know, because we had been fighting about this for almost four years, <laughs> that this was going to be, um, I would call it uh, a test from God for me. Wow. That's, um, just for the record, like, bigger than any language you've actually used around <laughs> me before. But, uh, yeah. I, I didn't, okay. I also, I didn't know that we were going to be watching it on Valentine's Day. Like, I didn't know that it was, it was going to, like, take on such a specific marker. Um, mm-hmm. but I do stand by like using the power of my birthday month t- to finally make you sit down and watch this movie with me. Oh, I yeah, think yeah, that yeah. that's like an appropriate use of that power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, you have that power. I respect that power. You used it. You know, I'm a little uh, bit wh- nervous about what that means for August. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna be watching the Tenacious D movie probably when <laughs> August rolls around. Um, but in the interim, we watched Julie Tamar's. Across the universe, I'm gonna call it 2007. Uh, That's right. A sprawling, epic uh, masterpiece across <laughs> the universe. Masterpiece. Wow. You uh, use some, that word. Well, no one can argue <laughs> that there is a lot of art in this movie. There is. There is. They turned on the cameras a lot, and they <laughs> shot a lot of things. <laughs> um, and they really, they really, they really did some shots. Uh-huh. You know, it was. Uh-huh. It was really. It's really full of. Um, uh, tableaus <laughs> that is um you you found a very nice way to put that thank you <laughs> for staying so civil so early in this conversation <laughs> well so i guess there's only one uh question i can ask you at this point in the podcast of course it used mm-hmm. to be what's your relationship to this musical i i've since updated no it in our last episode now i'll formally ask you do you fucks with across the universe i hella fucks with across the universe 
yeah, I fucking love this movie. I've always loved this movie. I recognize that, like, importantly on this rewatch, I recognize that a lot of it is the fact that I was 20 years old when I watched this movie, and it was, like, the first of its sort of category. I don't know. We can talk about what that category is. Uh, but, it, but it like, there wasn't really a lot of that in mainstream popular culture at the time and so like it was I just like glammed onto it and I can recognize now that I did overlook some of its flaws because I just don't care about them it's just doesn't I, I just don't care um and, w- and when you talk about that category I know you said we can talk about what it is but what just broadly <laughs> what what category you're referring to um abstract m- m- I guess I can't really even get beyond that. Like, like abstract art, I guess, sure. is what it, where I want to put this. Okay. Um, and, like, I don't even want to, like, limit it to movie <laughs> or because, you know, there, there was a moment when we were doing our rewatch where we talked about the subtlety of it and the lack of it. And it was right around the time that a hand really literally jumps out of a screen and, like, hits someone. And I was like, that that's like what this movie is. It just like reaches out of the screen and it hits you with it with a big hand and says, this is, this is the thing. And I like that sometimes. Like I, okay. you know, I don't, I don't need it all the time, but, um, sure. so yeah, I, so it was the summer of 2007. Uh, I was working at <laughs> black eyed peas ca- ruled the airwaves. <laughs> That's accurate. Um, I was working at a Catholic summer camp. Um, it was a, not great summer camp working experience except for all of the people that I worked with. Um, so like we had this terror of a boss and there was just a lot of, um, chaos, but, uh, all the people who worked there were really chill. Uh, so one of the things that like came out of that summer was that we, like a bunch of white people do just really glommed on to the song, let it be. (laughs) It became sort of like the emblem of that summer. Um, and then it was later that fall that this movie came out and I went to see it with that same group of camp friends. Um, and so it was just like, you know, a big hug. I had a poster of this movie hanging in my room from like 2007 to 2017, like, like too late. (laughs) I recognize that, but it was, it was that really pretty shot where they're all laying in the grass that represents grass. Um, (laughs) so Yeah. And then, uh, importantly, <laughs> uh, in 2019, I went on my first date with you, Andy Fleming, and truly it was date. our second first date. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, like, on that date, immediately had a fight about this, this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, since then, it's been, I, I'm not going to say a touchy subject, because, like, it's not like it uh like sets off any you know big fights or whatever but it's just it's a thing that we disagree about and it's arguably one of the reasons that like we started this podcast is because we knew we were going to have to have a formal fight about this one (laughs) day exactly and that we should get Um, it on the record so that leads me to ask you do you fucks with across the universe complicated question stuff i gotta (laughs) say so I, i saw this movie i mean it's so the year is 2007 as you mentioned and and I've I've just heard about um, the Beatles, which are a band, a European rock band. <laughs> and uh, I'm dating a girl who's very into the Beatles, so I finally get into the Beatles, really dive Hell into yeah. the Beatles. Hell um, yeah, that's the way to do it. 
and uh, and the and I'm I, I love Julie Tamar because I've just seen Frida the uh, the Frida Kahlo biopic that she directed and and mm-hmm. uh, so I'm very so then I hear that she's doing this Beatles musical I'm very excited I go to see it uh, I believe I go to see it the first time with uh, that girl my ex girlfriend and um, and man man did I hate it. Um, <laughs> But when I say that I hate it, I, I guess I need to explain that further that I hated it so much that I bought the full soundtrack on iTunes, the deluxe edition of the soundtrack on iTunes, paid money for it. This is during paid that for brief glimmer of time where we're paying money for songs on iTunes. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and hated it so much that I went and saw it a second time uh, in theaters. And, and I also was doing a chunk in my standup uh, at the time about how bad this movie was. Like, I remember I didn't know that. Yeah. One of the times that I, the, the first time that I, I did a guest set opening for Paul F. Tompkins, I did jokes about how much I hated this movie. And like, I have <laughs> a very warm memory of me talking about how much I hate this movie and him in the back of the room laughing. Um, oh, dagger and, in my heart. Uh, and so, and so I went and saw this movie a second time because, as I would say in my chunk at the time, there is enough weed in the world, and <laughs> uh, and went and saw it the second time with with uh, one of our guests today. Um, bought it on DVD because I hated it that much. I mean, I realize I'm starting to sound like one of those Republican senators who hates gay people and then just turns <laughs> uh-huh. out to be gay. And really, what I is, I'm just a closeted across the universe lover. But every like, there's a lot of st- great stuff on the soundtrack that I that I really like. Um, but there are a lot of infuriating visuals uh, uh, that come on screen in this film. And uh, and so uh, I, gu- I guess that's about the size of it. I mean, I've always had a complicated relationship with this movie, and I've always said that it is my least favorite movie. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. And still I, we fell in love. And still we fell believe? in love. Um, but that's nobody's business. We're just here as podcast hosts. And uh and so, uh, so why don't we uh, bring our guests in to, to talk about uh, their relationship to this movie, Steph? Yes, please. Um, I'm going to start. Right. Uh, our first guest is a UX and graphic designer. Uh, she was the type of English major who hosted spontaneous readings of the importance of being earnest in our living room. It's Megan Bleach. We met at Camp Tech, as I mentioned earlier. Hi, Megan. Hello. Welcome. Hi, Megan. Yeah. Megan, do you have a a history of theater? I wish I did. Well, I guess I should say, I don't know that I've talked to Andy about this, that I've had a little theme of, of like, sometimes my my theater guest is like an English major guest, (laughs) is is sort of like theater as a a text. Sure. Um, Failed theater kids become English majors. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Sure. I wouldn't say it that way, but. (laughs) <laughs> uh well let me introduce our other guest she we started improv well we we started stand-up together and we did improv together in memphis for many years uh call it five six years and uh she is now in uh st louis where she is a member of the improv troupe game day one of the house teams at the improv shop and has a uh upcoming dance-based improv duo uh called dance break that will be coming up soon dr laura holt laura hi how are you <laughs> Hey, I'm Groovy. How are you? And here's what I didn't mention is that you uh, also are a theater guest is because you are a graduate of the University of Northern Alabama's George Goober Lindsay Theater Program. Shut the fuck up, man. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, how dare you? Uh, Can I explain what that is? 
Yes. Uh, this is something you used to have a chunk in your stand up about. Yeah. Uh, is that the the University of Northern Alabama where you went? Am I getting the name of that school right? Mm-hmm. You were yeah, UNA. Uh, Go Lions. Beautiful Florence, Del- Alabama. Go you Lions. Um, <laughs> and uh, they and they're the one of the the I would say the most prestigious besides you graduate of their theater program uh, is George Lindsay who played not Gomer Pyle but Gomer Pyle's brother Goober Pyle on Andy Griffith and Gomer Pyle USMC. Yeah, he and uh, and my favorite part of that stand-up was the part where I got to talk about all the gooberabilia he donated to the university <laughs> on the condition they display it in like the theater lobby. So you'd be there to see like these students have worked very hard on these on these really great shows. I want guards, skin of our teeth, shit like that. And then you're staring at George Goober Lindsay's like gas station cap and his honorary doctorate and you too else can who aspire. Has a it's like fuck this university. Yeah. I didn't get my doctorate from UNA. I feel like I should be very clear about that. <laughs> well, Megan, should we start with you? Do you want to tell us um if you uh fucks with across the universe? I mean, you can just replay what Steph said <laughs> okay. because I was one of those camp friends. Now I think I'm just a real friend. And I think we saw it together in theaters. We were both students uh, at the University of Wisconsin. So getting to a movie theater was like a, a thing. Oh, you had to find 100%. someone with a car. Like they were far away oh, off wow. campus. And we found cars a lot. I think we saw it in theaters two or three times. Yeah, it was um, not subtle. <laughs> no, no. We would just call people and be like, we're going, get in the car. Wow. And, and go get them. And it's, I don't know, it's wonderful. I love it. Um, don't rewatch it very often. So I've got to reflect on what that means. But when I rewatched it to get ready for this, I was just so happy the whole All time. All right. Okay. Laura, what about you? Are you asking me the question? Should I? Or do, Should, are you do, do you f- fucks with Across the Universe? The official question. <laughs> so I fucks with the first half of Across the Universe. And I sit through the second half of the universe because I love the first half so damn much. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. This is, I, this is something that I sort of noticed watching it this last time is that it really does drag in the second half. And that yeah. there's, there's just a lot of songs of people being sad while we wait for them to all be in the same place again. Exactly um, right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and we we did see this in theaters together. You you were with me when I saw it the second time. Let's just jump into it because we there's a lot of movie here. So I want to start unpacking it as soon as we can. Uh, I always like to talk a little bit about how a movie gets made because I'm always fascinated that things get made at all when I'm struggling to get anything made. How did (laughs) Julie Taymor get $70.8 million to make this movie? Uh, So the story was written by Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet, who are a writing team with input from Julie Taymor, who based the characters on her family. Max is based on her brother, who's a musician who dropped out of college to become a cab driver in New York and then enlisted in the army. And Lucy is her sister. Uh, The filmmakers had to pay the owners of the rights to the songs, which is ATV, Sony Music, and Michael Jackson, of course, at the time. I was just going to say. About $10 million for the 30 songs used in the film. But as a condition of the song's use, the advertising poster could not mention the Beatles, nor the songwriters' names. And uh, they could not mention the Beatles, like, in the movie, basically. So they were like, yeah, yeah, you can use our songs. Just don't tell anyone you know us. Um, <laughs> so the stu- this is a, kind of a famous story at the time, is that the studio had Joe Roth. He disliked 
Julie Taymor's initial cut of the film so much that he had it re-edited to better suit mass audience, whatever he felt like that was. And Taymor's contract, for some reason, gave her final cut rights. Just to give a little bit of context, Julie Taymor, she does The Lion King on Broadway. She creates The Lion King on Broadway, which is a, you know, a groundbreaking uh, performance that, with all the puppets and whatnot. People love it. And then she eases into movies. She does Titus. She does Frida. So she pretty much has, like, a golden ticket to do whatever she wants at this point. And this is what she wants to do. She wants to pay $10 million for all the Beatles songs and make a musical about them. So basically the studio head, Joe Roth, he gets, he has an alternate version edited, cuts about 30 minutes out of it and tries to screen it for people. And Julie Taymor finds out, threatens a lawsuit if he releases anything except her version. She forces the studio to sign an agreement that all copies of that edit would be destroyed without ever being released to the general public and that no further re-edits of the film could ever be released without her express permission. Oh, I'm Um, so curious. I know, I know. I do know a little bit about what was cut out and it was, um, she, Julie Tamar says that he made it a lot more like genteel and cut out like, I want to hold your hand and, and some other stuff and, and sort of tried to make it a more happier, upbeat thing. And it's like, man, that was not the problem with this movie. But anyway. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, it did have a budget, as I mentioned, of $70.8 million, And it did make $29.3 million at the box office. Uh, I it got... tried, okay? <laughs> I know. Look, I went <laughs> twice. You guys went twice. I don't know what else we could have done. Uh, it was nominated for a Best Costume Design Oscar. And it was beat by Elizabeth the Golden Age. Uh, Frida and Titus were also nominated for Best Costume Design, which I love that Julie Tamar just makes these movies that you're like, hey, those costumes so were great. Yeah, <laughs> the costumes, they love the costumes. And this is my favorite thing, and then we can get started with the plot, is that um, it was nominated for the Grammy for Best Compilation Soundtrack to, for Visual Media, but it lost to the soundtrack for Cirque du Soleil's Love. That's right, the Beatles-inspired Cirque du Soleil show. <laughs> So the Beatles beat the Beatles. The Beatles screwed the Beatles there. <laughs> I just like that it's like two different versions of, I guess one's a mashup and one's covers, but it's sort of like two different versions of like a tribute piece. Yeah. Fighting head to head. Exactly. Um, well, let's get into what exactly, I mean, plot is such a okay. weird term for what happens in this movie because. Okay. So here's the thing. I did not intentionally book two musical movies that are just, like, a series of songs. But I do think that that sort of speaks to what I like in a musical movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, like, the last five years was, last time, um, it, I don't think that it is, like, helpful even to talk about this in terms of plot. So I've sort of broken it out by, like chunk of song and then like here's what happens during that chunk of song and then it's the next chunks of song and then here's what happened um and i think that'll just be a a more fun way to talk about it sure that's always the sign of a great movie is when you say it's not really helpful to talk about the plot (laughs) i okay you say that with scorn and like i say (laughs) that it's always a sign of a great movie when you don't even need to talk about the plot i don't care about the plot what plot in fairness, an- another movie Laura and I saw together in theaters is a lot like that, and it's the Rocky Horror Picture Show. If you try to talk <laughs> about the plot for Rocky Horror Picture Show, it is a mess. But- we did. It is mess. <laughs> yes, we did that. Go back and listen to that episode. <laughs> okay, so that being said, um, so our first chunk of songs is Girl, Helter Skelter, Hold Me Tight, All My Loving, and I Want to Hold Your Hand, 
which I really like as just a little, like, here's a little tone. We're getting both the, like, extreme ends of the Beatles. Um, so we have a cold open with Jim Sturgis on a winter beach singing a line from Girl. The waves on the beach turn into an abstract riot scene while someone off screen sings Helter Skelter and a title page. We get a little AV rendition of Hold Me Tight. That's half Evan Rachel Wood, who we will later learn is called Lucy. She is singing at a stereotypical early 60s looking high school dance. Um, and then the other half is an underground pub performance of some liver pudlians with shaggy haircuts who cannot be named for legal reasons, uh, <laughs> where Jude, who was the guy from earlier, and his girlfriend are saying goodbye. Jude is leaving his shipyard job and the sassy girlfriend for America, uh, which he does while singing All My Loving. We see that simultaneously while Lucy's boyfriend leaves for war. And uh, on its way out of town, the army truck with her boyfriend passes a football field where a cheerleader sings a mellow, melancholy arrangement (laughs) of I Want to Hold Your Hand before hitchhiking her way out of whatever that life is. And that's sort of our first little... Here we are. Okay, I would love to start with Hold Me Tight, um, yeah. which is, so Evan Rachel Wood is singing sort of a very cheery sort of version of it, and then when they cut to the Cavern Club or whatever they call it, it's very crunchy and a little more rocky and the girl singing. And here, this is what fucks me up. I always thought like, oh, that I like that girl's voice so much more. I like the way that she sings it. Uh, I look it up today, I found out that it's Evan Rachel Wood dubbing that girl in a British accent. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. But I didn't also, know that. The frustrating part is that the, the crunchier, sort of better part of that song is not on the soundtrack. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, is that, like, we don't, in a lot of it, the they have edits for the film that are not as, like, studio polished, I guess, which I guess I can think of now if that's, like, the fight that they're having of making this, like, more consumable for a mainstream audience. I guess maybe that's why, but, like, this is the, right off the bat. We don't even get to hear this, like, totally other edit of the song. I guess I do. I also want to talk about I Want to Hold Your Hand because it, it is actually, it's a very beautiful rendition of this mm-hmm. song. Mm-hmm. This is, like, why, this is, like, when I knew I was going to get the soundtrack was <laughs> the TV Carpio sort of beautiful rendition and, and the arrangement of the song. Laura, did you, you, you got really happy when I brought it up. I love the scene with the cheerleader lusting after the other cheerleader, which I think is Lucy. Is it Lucy? I, or is I don't it another random girl? I think it's just, a random, it's just okay. a random gal. Because that's always confused me because I can't tell if I'm supposed to think it's Lucy because it doesn't quite look like Lucy, but it doesn't not not like Lucy. <laughs> right. But They're the reason... sort of both like the same like stereotype of a person. Right. But the yeah. reason I love that so much is because so often, like, when a character is, like, queer, there's, like, this big reveal, like, haha, you thought she was listing up to the football players, you fucking homophobe. And instead <laughs> with this, it's just real casual from the beginning. Like, girl wants to cheerleader. That's cool. Whatever. Cool. All right. And it's so lovely, yeah. and they don't make a big deal of it. And I don't know. She, I, yeah, I she is. It. She sings of her love for the cheerleader while, in fairness, the most homoerotic football practice I've ever seen is going on. <laughs> Uh, in the background and the choreography of the football players is so ridiculous that like it's like sort of looks like tackles but it sort of looks like wrestling but like wrestling like before people are really good at it and they're telegraphing all their all their moves and like (laughs) and then like you're like man I can't tell if this is supposed to look good or not and then one guy just fully does a dirty dancing lift to another guy 
And the, and then one guy, despite being chased by no one, just does a cartwheel behind him. <laughs> I, that is, okay, this is, I think, the moment that it, like, they first break us from, this could, like, be sort of plausibly happening in real life, or, like, be diegetic, like, those people could have been singing at the dance and she could have been singing in the bleachers. But then when she starts to do this walk and it makes that turn from like they are having a football practice to they are dancing a football practice. I love that that <laughs> I you and I can feel Julie Taymor like reaching out of the movie and slapping me and being like, we're in a musical now. <laughs> I bet she loves that. I bet she just loves that. You know she's going to listen to this. She has a Google alert set up for her name. <laughs> she does seem like the type of person to do that. So, oh, the other thing that I wanted to say, we um, get here to, like, we start to see the way that they're going to sort of show us a lot of plot and exposition in, like, the background of another scene. So, like, we get that transition of the the truck that has lucy's boyfriend is like driving past prudence and then like when prudence starts starts hitchhiking we like transfer from her hitchhiking to jude hitchhiking um and i just it's i i i think that that is really effective and i'm going to talk about it more later it shows a planning and a care for plot that is not necessarily reflected in a lot of other elements of this movie but she wants it to visually tell this story like she she knows the frames that she wants and she's maybe just not as strong on like caring about what the characters do or go through but look we're not here to fight uh i have a confession to make the first time we watched it andy i did not glom on to the idea that the cheerleader was prudent oh like late even (laughs) like it's it's the same girl that comes in later she comes in the window i'm like new character i had no idea it wasn't until a rewatch i was like (gasps) and then i realized like that there had been seeds for later characters planted that early i was like these are unrelated people now granted I was not sober, so I feel like that's <laughs> my defense. No, I think that this movie needs to ha- understand what its audience, this, what the state <laughs> of its audience is going to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It tries to get you there even if you're not. So <laughs> Yeah, it's, exactly. It's for everybody. But can we just talk about the open really quick? Yeah. Because yeah. I yeah. just think that Jim Sturgis on that like sad beach, like a gray liverpool beach i'm assuming mm-hmm. is just so like beautiful and i don't know from like the second the movie started i was like oh i love it I really which made me maybe voice. forgive a lot of it. his voice is beautiful yeah it's so good it's, it's so, so good like... and he looks like paul mccartney like that's yeah, the yeah. funnest part like they low-key cast yeah. paul mccartney to be in this beatles movie they're not allowed to call a beatles movie like that's so fun <laughs> Which, yeah, I didn't know that, so I'm going to be thinking of, like, the Beatles are playing in the bar in that first Truly. Also, it's I know, so it's just explicitly like, them. It's just yeah. four lads with shaggy haircuts, you know what I mean? That's not, that's it not could be any four lab. No. That's, I do, in okay, Liverpool. so this does bring up sort of a question about sort of the general state of this movie. Like, the Beatles, I guess, don't exist in this world, right? Because Sadie is writing a number of these songs. It's almost like that movie Yesterday, where, like... So that guy is the one guy who remembers the Beatles and so he, he pretends like he wrote sure. all those songs. I think that's Sadie in this world where she just pretends like she wrote all these songs. Uh, but so like the Beatles don't exist. So all these songs are just coming from other places, right? And JoJo. Because okay, JoJo a... references having a note full of, notebook full of songs. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. 
to keep you on I fat. I kind of... <laughs> I like that. I've been thinking about, and I, I guess I would like us all to think about this as we go through, like, what does this movie want to tell us? What, like, yeah. what does it want us to take away from it? Don't live in Ireland. English. Sorry. <laughs> right? Like... like all you need is love, I guess. But, uh, but I, but what you just said, Andy, about like the movie, the Beatles not existing in the universe of the movie, like maybe that's the thing that it's like. What if, what if it wasn't the Beatles that made these songs? What if it was just the power of the sixties? Mm, I see that does sound like some Julie Taymor shit. <laughs> this is. I remember when this movie came out. I read an interview with Jim Sturgis where he said that. Uh, Julie Tamar was yelling at him for not emoting enough on his over-the-shoulder shot. So it's the back of his head, and she's yelling at him, and she's saying, I want to feel I want to feel the emotions through the back of your head. I assume she's French. If she's not, she <laughs> feels French to me. <laughs> I want to feel the emotions through the back of your head. I want, to, I want you to emote so, loud, so loudly that I feel that through the back. And, uh, and so that's what I think about whenever I think about Julie Tamar. <laughs> In fairness, it worked, and all it took was him sitting on a beach staring into the camera and right down the barrel right down the barrel and every person i know who's attracted to men was like yes i will have that thank you <laughs> so our next little chunk of songs is with a little help from my friends it won't be long and i've just seen a face i have just seen a face uh so jude we need to be so formal to- Jude hitchhikes to Princeton to meet his father and there's a scene about it but it doesn't matter because he's functionally there to meet Max a stoner soon to be dropout who antagonizes everyone in his near proximity as seen and with a little help from my friends meanwhile Lucy gets a letter from her boyfriend and sings it won't be long because wait for it it won't be long until he's back for a visit Uh, And Max brings Jude home for Waspy Thanksgiving, where Jude and Lucy finally meet because Max is Lucy's brother. (gasps) And Max announces that he is dropping out, moving to New York. They go to a bowling alley to celebrate and to give Jude and Lucy a vibrant scene in which to fall in love as Jude sings, I've Just Seen a Face. Okay. So we got to start with a little help from my friends, uh, where again, the levels of homoeroticism are increasing. There's a lot of... uh, pool cues through the crotch and and all these things uh there's also some some pantomimed joint smoking going on here Steph you had like a a a visceral reaction to that when we watched it well I sort of had a crackpot theory uh that it was to maintain a pg-13 rating and then I found out today that I actually was correct that that's why they had the (laughs) joint be mimed uh so that it wouldn't be rated r uh, is there so like later though we do see Jude smoking a joint and it's there like is there like a, a mm. similar to like you only get one fuck like you only get one joint in your movie yeah one boob one fuck and one joint those are the rules <laughs> <laughs> it's also the name of my uh, album coming out this summer <laughs> I also think it's very funny that they all sing this song about being friends Max and Jude and these other two people that we'll never see again for the rest of the movie. Nope. This is kind of what I mean, though. Like, uh, we get like their, we get the all of their family at the Thanksgiving scene, and, and it's like all uncle? of, yeah, yeah. The one uncle. and like one who has like one line, but he's just gonna make the most of his one line. <laughs> well, I just wanted to say, with a little help from my friends, 
here is just like straight up. I think this is our first like this is just what a music video for this song would be, right? Sure. Yeah. Like we get she starts to play more with like fun shots and stuff. So we get like they're like sliding down the staircase and then we get an aerial of the staircase. Um and they do the the end where the music sort of like hits its break and then they're they come running outside and and we get this like moving camera thing where they're all kind of spinning around does a really good job of capturing that like exhilarating feeling of being 20 years old and like all you need is to have your friends around and then collapse in a sexy heap just kind of on each other <laughs> yeah. on the couch. On, you know you know how you fall on top of each other as you fall asleep yeah. casually yeah <laughs> I mean, when I was watching that, Steph and I also worked at a student newspaper uh, for a, a bit in college, and there were nights where pe- people would fall asleep on top of each other on a couch. So <laughs> I, I was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what happens when you're 20. <laughs> and a lot of them I don't see anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, you just see them for that part of the movie, and then you never hear from them again. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. True. Yeah. <laughs> so this mo- the song starts with the classic Beatles version, then halfway through, it transitions to uh, the Wonder Years theme, a.k.a. the Joe Cocker version. And I like to think that they called Joe Cocker up and asked him for his permission for that. And he was like, yeah, okay, but I want to uh, be in the movie. And they're like, yeah, we have a part for you. And he's like, no, no, three parts. I want <laughs> three parts in the movie. <laughs> and Julie Tamer is like, you are speaking my language. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, say less. Also, she's from Newton, Massachusetts, so any future accents should please be a New England accent. Okay, yeah. But... She's like, I want to feel your emotion through the back of your head when you park the car. <laughs> yeah, that's what she said. Perfect. Okay, wait. We, I, so it won't be long now. It's just sort of like, that's all I want to say about it. You I got like her little down. sisters like kicking, kicking her little feet up. and do, It's kind of like... Um, a song from Greece is is how this this song feels to me in this musical. It's like sure. it's like uh like tell me more, tell me more is basically what her little sisters are doing. I mean, it's pleasant. It's pleasant, yeah. but it's I think it just... also sets up like the comparison to later. Like she yeah. was this sock hop going bike riding. I don't know where they're from. East East Coast girl. And then Somewhere. she becomes Ohio. this revolutionary. I thought Ohio. Yeah. Steph said Jersey. Uh, I remember Wikipedia Prudence said, Ohio. said Jersey. Yeah, Prudence is definitely Prudence, in Ohio. Prudence is Ohio. definitely Ohio. And then the other ones are from, hang on, I'm looking it up. It says, any town USA in the script. <laughs> oh, gross. I think Bruce Springsteen told us that's New Jersey. That counts. <laughs> they count those. But you're right. Julie Taymor is not subtle. And she really wants to drive home how incredibly innocent and sweet and naive yeah. and so you're right i feel like she would view this as essential to really drive home the later okay here's a question for you when lucy and jude like meet meet in the car like max is picking her up from high school and jude is lusting after a high schooler and that's fine, fine. I guess. um <laughs> we i guess we see her have like just a couple little lines of like i'm never having children that's so egocentric and like oh when she talks about like thanksgiving and and how americans are shitty because of thanksgiving mm-hmm. like i feel like that's also supposed to be a little seed of like see she had these little like nuggets in but she was still living mm-hmm. this very sock hop life 
So I do want to mention that that is one of the things that I remember that um, the studio had cut out of his cut was uh, uh, Lucy talking about how she wouldn't want to have kids because he thought it made her unlikable. And so again, like this guy just had, he had all the wrong things. (laughs) <laughs> like wrong with the movie but julie tamar correctly was like no this is like a way that you feel when you're a kid even if you change how that feels later like yeah. that is, this is like yeah. a very specific feeling you have when you're a kid yeah. i will say that evan rachel wood's line read on where they're cooing over the baby his mother's eyes his mother's lips is so wooden and so bad it takes me out of my body with rage and I and so I just so that I can continue to hate hating hating on Evan Rachel Wood for the rest of this podcast, I do want to mention how great she is in Weird uh, as Madonna. Uh, I mean, like she is truly incredible in Weird, and I say that so that we, I can now say that she has the voice of like the third best singer in your high school choir. Yes. Although I also feel guilty. I don't want to uh I don't want to be too cruel to her because she's 19 during filming if my math is right and she's been dating Marilyn Manson for a year at this point. And if oh you boy. haven't oh. read I want to bring the room down but it was sure. she was not having a oh, good yeah. time. So I wouldn't sing that good either. I'm just saying. And she I mean so she's she's right off the success of uh 13. Uh, which is a, a hot movie in like 2000, I'm gonna call it three or four. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and so she's, she's, she's a great actress and, and, uh, and she's, I don't not believe her in this movie. I just, uh, uh, I think that maybe her heat that she had in Hollywood is what landed her this part rather than necessarily her singing abilities. <laughs> And we all went, our thoughts and prayers are with her. And let's talk about I've Just Seen a Face. Okay, yeah. This is where I fell in love with the movie, I just want to say. Yeah, truly. I I literally have written down, I consider this the start of the movie. Like, if I'm just, like, casually, yes, if I'm just, like, casually watching it for myself, I don't watch anything that's happened before now. I start, I, like, start it here. Um, I love this scene. This scene, like, made me fall in love with just the idea of falling in love in a bowling alley. And I love that it's a bowling alley, but it's, like, because that's so, like, 50s America. But then it, like, they're just, they sort of, like, dance on top of it. And they're, like, no, we do whatever we want here. Also, I think I just like the idea of of sliding down the bowling lane. Like, that, that just looks fun. Well, I do need to say that, I, I, I'm sure you know this about me, stuff that bowling was my uh, physical education class in college. Um <laughs> And uh, uh, what they're doing, it's very dangerous. Please uh, don't try this. Uh, there's a reason why you're not supposed to step over the line. Those lanes are very slick. Please don't jump over the ball return. Those things are shooting out balls. Um, even if you're doing it in sync with another person, it's still incredibly dangerous. It does seem like they're inventing cosmic bowling. Those lights. That's accurate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like how much, how distinctly this song isn't happening in real in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, and how like how much that feels like what falling in love feels like too. What it's like to be bowled over. Yeah. Oh, Got him. literally. Wow, she's a but doctor. Then before long, you got to split. <laughs> <laughs> You're knocking him dead, Andy. You're knocking him dead. <laughs> I loved loved the arrangement, the rockabilly kind of vibe. This is this is the song I probably one of like the top three songs I listened to from the soundtrack. Um, mm-hmm. just over and over and over. This again. is a song that it's just like in my regular song, like on like the playlist of songs okay. that I listen to. Yeah. And Jim Sturge is just so good. Like you can just uh-huh. feel his, like I, the only way I can describe it is like his eyebrows in that song. Like he's like, Ooh, 
he is odd. I mean, again, he <laughs> he is he's such an unlikely yeah. movie star to me because he is yeah. he's got a he's got kind of a weird face, uh, but he's just like How so charming. Am I am I wrong about this? I think he's got like a kind of protruding brow, and he's but it works in this very like uh, I don't know. It's it is it reminds me of sort of the, like Ringo. Like Ringo is not someone who had like a like a great handsome face when they were boys, you know. But he like the whole presentation really worked for him, you know. Did I say that at all? <laughs> As all three of us are like staring daggers at your little <laughs> Zoom screen. <laughs> How dare you to Sir Paul McCartney? That's all I have to say. <laughs> Sir Paul and I are fine. He's a friend of my other show, 30 Characters. <laughs> all right. What's next, Steph? Okay. So our next... Uh, so I just have these two songs together, which is Let It Be and Come Together. Uh, so Jude and Max get to New York. They find a room in a, quote, bohemian enclave, which is what Wikipedia calls it, um, in the village that's run by Janis Joplin whose name in the movie is Sadie. Uh, and we see Lucy receive the news that her boyfriend was killed in Vietnam. Uh, while a gospel, uh, a gospel version of Let It Be shows his funeral juxtaposed with the 1967 Detroit riots and the funeral of a young black boy who was killed there. Um, we follow that boy's brother, Jojo, make his way to New York afterward the funeral, and he joins Sadie's band slash the commune. Um, I, ju- then- I just watched Laura realize that that is Jojo's brother. <laughs> I, okay. Accurate. Laura. It's not, it's, it's not like hard in the text. I mean, I'm with you. No, it is. It's like, he's like in the funeral sitting next to the mom and like, that's it. I can but, picture yeah. him, but, but he was like- wearing a hat in the funeral and I'm easily fooled by hats. <laughs> sure. You would have been one of those people who's like, Clark Kent, he's a great guy. What do you mean? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. And then the last chunk here is that the gang are soon joined by Prudence, the cheerleader. She finally made her way to New York before coming in through the bathroom window. She came in through the bathroom window. That's what, <laughs> that's what uh, Jude says. Uh, so also in this chunk, we get Sadie when she meets Max and she's like, yeah, you look like a nice kid. But then again, you could have killed your grandma with a hammer. Okay. That, that, yeah. Okay. I, I, I want to talk about this. I'm, <laughs> I'm very disappointed that Maxwell never murders anybody in this movie. Like, <laughs> like they I mean, all in have fairness, these... he probably I mean, murders a lot of people in Vietnam. I mean, He's in Vietnam. Fair. That's fair. But that's not the... The song Maxwell's Silver Hammer is clearly about this like sociopath who kills people. I don't know if you guys have heard that song. He kills the dang judge when he's on trial for murder uh, in the middle of the courtroom. How, I mean, how do you even get his hands on the how silver hammer? How did he get hammer? a hammer in it? there? I mean, yeah. I guess it was probably there for evidence and he just grabbed it. Instead, Maxwell never uh, uh, murders anybody. It's disappointing. Also, Lucy never flies. She kind of flies in the water. She's high a lot. <laughs> now, Steph, you call swimming <laughs> flying in the water. It's, it's, it's water flying. So, yeah, swimming, flying in the air flying, is air yeah. flying. flying <laughs> swimming is, is water flying. Yeah, no one could deny that. <laughs> no, they shouldn't, nor should they. This is sort of the first instance that we get like a step away from the action of the plot um, and like see that, see how Julie Tamer like wants to say something about the state of the world. So like we, we like get the riots. I think that the fact that that is not coupled with 
any of those characters like having substantial characterization in the movie or like I I just it feels a little bit exploitive to me and I fucking love the this version of this song. It's of so it good. It's so beautiful. You're talking yeah. about Let It Be. Okay. Let yeah. It Be. Yeah. I I don't disagree with that. I because Jojo comes to New York and is never once talks about the horrible death of his baby brother or any of the horrible race riots that he has been through. Instead, he's just like, I'm going to be a rock star. Hell yeah. Well, he does say like, he does say like, you have to play the music loud enough to keep the demons at bay. Uh, Like, I do think that it's, uh, uh, well, I guess, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just that one line. And I've always just been like, yeah, that's that one line. To me, sort of the key thing that you said there is that, it seems like Julie Taymor wants to say something. And like, that's so much of this movie is like, oh, I get it. She's trying to say something. I don't know what it is, but I know Julie Taymor is trying to say something. Yeah. No, I, I agree with, uh, with the discomfort and the complete love of this song, because when that lead singer of the choir hits those notes, like I get chills and tears just start leaking out of my every time. <laughs> And I remember, I feel like part of my theme of my narrative is I'm easily surprised by movies. I remember being <laughs> just like gut punched seeing that little boy in the coffin. It had not occurred to me yeah. that he had died, that he was still singing. Like, And so that emotion, I still remember what like an emotional crunch that was. But when I rewatched it today, I was struck that there's no context for why black people are fighting police and looting. Like... And so I imagine people who don't know about the riots, which is, I mean, we look at how we're educated on race, is probably many people watching this movie and all they see is, oh, black people are stealing shit and that boy died. Well, that's sad, but black people ought not have been stealing shit. Completely missing. Like, I would have really appreciated 30 seconds devoted to what was going on in Detroit and why black people were fighting back against the racism and horrors and, and predatory actions of, of Detroit. Um, and so that just sucked. And I'm really glad you named that. Yeah. That Cause in, really instead it just feels like, Oh, and, and bad things were go- happening for black people too. Anyways. And then he goes and joins yeah. our white friends. Right. So besides the context, free violence on black people, um, I noticed today and I rewound it and I watched it again to make sure I wasn't like making it up in my head. When, when um, Lucy gets the news about her, brother there's this really beautiful look on the soldier's face as he turns away like he watches her approaching the uh the porch and his face is just full of the emotion of knowing this young girl is just about to get some news about someone close to her and he has this very quiet anguish the next scene is military people running with rage and violence to to stop black people and there's no sympathy Mm. and so the juxtaposition of the 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 military's sympathy for for white pain and then the military's actions to crush black pain was i don't know if this is what julie was trying to say julie you know we're twitter friends um (laughs) but uh to me it was like wow i at least there's that piece um yeah if if that's all the context we get that's something that's interesting that's one of those things where it's so hard for me to tell if that's on purpose or if that's a happy accident of it's a happy inconsistency accident (laughs) (laughs) i I feel like well yeah i do feel like it's we because like throughout the song we see the two different communities like going through the same thing um and so i do kind of feel like i don't know the 
the author's intent doesn't matter. What's what matters is what's in the movie. And also, she's telling Jim Sturgis to emote through the back of his head. <laughs> it makes me believe maybe she is paying attention to like one facial expression, to emotions. <laughs> maybe that not. Sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We just don't know what to do with subtlety from her because we don't expect yeah. it. Yeah, right. Because it's that's not. Really true. That's not how she operates. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So now we we do need to talk about Joe Cocker. Um, so Jojo comes to New York and it's come together. It's the Joe Cocker come together and our friend just gets to sing the song on screen, like as himself, but as himself as like three different people that you might encounter if you are going like from the bus station to the village. Yeah. Classic New York people, a homeless guy, a pimp, another homeless guy. (laughs) (laughs) He's just, the last guy's a hippie. He's not, we don't know that he's, okay. I'm sure he's a homed hippie. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this this version of this song kicks ass. Uh, Joe Cocker kicks ass. I I saw Joe Cocker live at the uh, Beale Street Music Festival one year in Memphis. And uh, and he, the thing that he does with his hands, he does that all the time. He, I mean, when you watch like uh, John Belushi's impression of him, he's doing that. But that's that's like a thing. That's his his. I don't know what exactly it is. It's but he he sort of just sometimes it's air guitar and sometimes he's just sort of pinching, <laughs> you know, imaginary things in front of him. But he's just he's like feeling the music in his body. It's fascinating. Now, the pimp version of him is cursed. It is. Yeah. He has that jet black goatee. <laughs> and it is so disturbing. I really do like in the song, too, how the like we pull in people from the street to be like singing little backup lyrics. Um, and I love the dancing in this song. I love like there's, there's a moment like we sort of like follow Jojo moving through all of these different, I assume very New Yorky looking places. I don't really know New York, but, um, but like as he's doing that, all of the people who move around him, like it's a com- it's, it's another combination of like a, the way that people move sort of every day, but then they'll do something like choreographed in mass and like shift to the side or shift to another side. And um, it's very effective at showing like you see him, we see Jojo's face, like looking at everything and sort of taking it all in and, and letting himself kind of get swept up in it. Um, And also I just, you know, the, there's a bunch of dudes in suits and they dance with their briefcases. Yeah. If anyone actually watched, last week's uh, movie and this week's movie, the last five years, there is a segment of that movie that we talked about where the almost like the same choreography happens where uh, Jeremy Jordan, what is that his name? Jeremy Jordan? Yeah. Wow. Is, on the, is on the street going to his meeting and all of a sudden a bunch of New York like choreography breaks out around him and it's sort of just like the choreography in this song, but the difference is in this movie, God help me, it makes sense. <laughs> and it belongs there. So like it's and it you know you see them sort of juxtaposed against uh, uh, Jojo who's sort of marching to his own beat here Jojo isn't he? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He really he really hears his own song. And another thing, Jojo's from Tucson, Arizona, not Detroit. So maybe <laughs> Julie Tamar, you should listen to these songs before you adapt them. <laughs> so we've now reached my favorite sequence in the movie. And there are a bunch of songs in a row. And I was kind of shocked when, like, looking at them so objectively that, like, this really is the sequence. But it is. We go from Why Don't We Do It in the Road 
to If I Fell, I Want You, She's So Heavy, Dear Prudence, I Am the Walrus, Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite, and Because. And it's just like this. I know. I know. It's so, it's like dense. And it's, this is, this is, I think, like the most music video-y. Like we really don't get like scenes in between these songs like it'll be sort of like one line happens and while something's happening over here and then like someone does a little thing um so what happens in the story lucy visits max in new york she brings with her a draft letter um and during the next couple of weeks before he ships out obviously lucy and jude fall in love Max goes through his army intake. Prudence is attracted to Sadie, but is depressed. Attracted to is what uh, another one that Wikipedia phrased that I was just like, yeah, I guess that's what it is. Um, But is depressed when Sadie and Jojo start hooking up. And so the rest of them have to literally coax her out of the closet. Uh, the gang goes to an ultra mod party with Sadie's new record label where Bono's Dr. Robert gets them all fucked up on acid and takes them on a bus tour of rural New York. They stumble on Eddie Izzard's circus where Prudence is now working as Henry the Horse. They sing in a field. They get abandoned by Dr. Robert. This is why you never go with a hippie to a second location. <laughs> <laughs> now you tell me. <laughs> I mean, I guess I do want to talk about the decision to take these characters and make them Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix when <laughs> when it's like, it's not like there's like a George and a Ringo and a John, but like, for some reason, they make two characters, Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix. And like, I, I've never, I've never quite glommed on to why they do that. So I read an interview with her that said that was her effort to like give an accounting for that rock and roll was black music that white people like the Beatles had basically stolen and and made a lot of money on. And so uh, I'll quote Steph, Julie Taymor is trying to tell us something. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. I see that. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just so interesting that it's like that it takes these things that were concurrent to the Beatles, but not the Beatles. And then, and it's just like, and they're here too. And they <laughs> also represent the Beatles. Gives you something to think about, well, doesn't it? I do kind of <laughs> like it. <laughs> I do kind of like it thinking about that she's trying to like paint the picture of the world. And like, if this is a world where the Beatles don't exist, then like, then Sadie and Jojo or Janice and Jimmy like do get to have credit for that. Sure. Although presumably uh, Jimi Hendrix and Janice Joplin don't exist. Oh, Look, I'm not here to dive into part. the minutia of the <laughs> canon of Across the Universe. I'm actually not using weed right now, and so I, I'm not high enough <laughs> to think about that question. Yeah, I can tell because you use the phrase using weed. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the way that everyone says it. That's a square it. if I ever heard one. I like that some version of Joe Cocker, or more than one version of Joe Cocker, is a constant throughout the multiverse. big into it oh the other thing i wanted to say is that um i think that this is one that's at cafe huh which is a fictionalized version of a real cafe what uh it's also right around here that they uh protest uh before max goes in for his intake i believe or maybe it's after yes um and it has those puppets that you like Mm -hmm, i love julie julie tamor loves loves big puppets and I'll never forget, Laura, I don't know if you remember this, but when we saw this movie, there were two women sitting right in front of us in the theater. 
Um, and when Max says something about LBJ, one of them turned to another, <laughs> turned to another one and said, who's LBG? <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I can never watch this movie without thinking about that. That's perfect. No, I forgot about that. Uh, but so is I Want You, She's So Heavy, the next song? Yeah, let's talk about it. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> so I, here, okay, here's what I want to say real quick. This, is, this watch, this watch of the movie, this 2023 rewatch, is the first time where I've watched all the I Want You choreography and been like, okay, I can be on board for this. This is fun. There's a lot of fun choreography happening here. Um, when it, when they start, when the drill sergeant starts ballroom dancing with the new recruits, that's when it goes a little, that's why I'm like, okay, let's scale it back a little bit. Julie Tamar. Um, That's when, that's when I'm like, yeah, take it to 11. (laughs) Well, but then 11 for me is the, she's so heavy of it all where the, then it cuts to a bunch of soldiers carrying the statue of Liberty while saying (laughs) she's so heavy. We screamed out loud in the theater. (laughs) (laughs) this this is what i mean when i when we talk about the lack of subtlety in this movie (laughs) this is the moment of the lack of subtlety in this movie for me i vividly remember us both scream laughing just (laughs) uncontrollably (laughs) when this scene started and it's still this is the most min max feeling i have that moment where it pans (laughs) back because it's like it's so cringe and so delicious and perfect in every way and awful uh and megan what do you make of this there's a couple in this uh string of songs we're going to talk about that are just too on the nose like we'll get into (laughs) coming out of the closet literally (laughs) well she's not she's not trying to tell us something anymore she is slapping us (laughs) in the face with it here um (laughs) literally this is where that hand happens yeah Oh yeah, yeah, literally. When, yeah, oh yeah, because we didn't we didn't say this, but the "I want you" is spoken by Uncle Sam. Mm-hmm. Uncle Sam leans uh, out of a poster and says and to Max, "I want like, you." Yeah, points at him. So, a little too on the nose. No longer trying. I still don't know if she's yeah. succeeding in telling us anything. It's maybe too much <laughs> uh, to get any point across. But yeah, at this point, if she was t- trying to tell me this, like at a party, I'd be like. Oh, I think I ha- see my friend over oh, there. What? I gotta go. Oh, this was said my name. <laughs> um, also, she recycled uh, it, a good bit of the choreography from the army, uh, like dancing where they're stomping over the recruits and things, for a similar scene in Spider-Man: Turn Off the Dark. <gasps> I mean, we haven't because... even talked about Spider-Man: Turn Off the Dark. Which was... <laughs> yeah, I, I wish this movie empowers her. I, yeah. I, I fear. Uh, I wish I had time to go back and watch. Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark and like make notes of all of the beats she borrowed and reused because there were many of them. But I remember that whole dance number was just um, I just mimed pulling well, one thing into another. <laughs> this is a podcast. not just. A it was show. really fun to watch it like <laughs> go over your eyes. You're like, oh, wait, this is an audio. OK. So, I mean, but but speaking of, um, you know, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, of course, her collaborators on that were Bono and The Edge and uh i mean laura let's get into it you it was pretty much one of the defining characteristics of you uh when we were doing comedy together that you were a huge youtube fan obsessed i i could work and probably better phrased could not help working youtube into like every conversation i had from the time i heard joshua tree when i was uh like 1990s i was probably like 13 until uh 
uh, my divorce in 2009. And then it just vanished in a moment. And then they also oh. released No Line on the Horizon, which didn't help because it sucked. <laughs> and uh, and uh, weirdly enough, I just listened to Bono's biography, his autobiography, Surrender. And I think it may have like reignited some of that love for you too, because I was like, "Oh shit, yeah, this was some good stuff." What did so when he showed up here now? Like, what did you, what did you feel? I was transported <laughs> because his mustache is doing so much work. Like his mustache is the performance, but then all of a sudden he morphs into this like. You see the Dr. Robert character drop and it's so funny and weird and I just loved it. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I'm hating a lot here. Bono is my straight up my favorite performance in this movie. Wonderful. Bono is amazing in this movie. He's funny. Yeah. He's and he's only in it for about five minutes, but he is, he's great. Yeah, loved it. He really makes him count. Um, I love his accent. We Andy and I did a lot of talking about uh uh, what Joe Anderson is that his name? The, the plays guy Max, who plays yeah. Max, um, who is British but is speaking here with a, just a very heavily arred American accent. Yeah, he's doing a very <laughs> Stephen Strange Sorcerer <laughs> Supreme accent. Yeah. Um, and Bono's accent here is not that like it is. It's pretty it is, flawless. Taken, it's pretty. It's great. Yeah. So yeah, I really like this version of I Am the Walrus. I want to talk about the color choices in in I Am the Walrus because this is so like they are all like on an acid trip. I, I don't know how explicit that it like we like see them. It's oh, very explicit, punch. but like yeah. when we see him drink punch, um, and <laughs> I was so proud of myself for figuring that out. Did you guys just see it? <laughs> like that wasn't the first time I figured it out, but I was still proud. Like you guys, there was drugs in the punch. <laughs> I just, there's something about it that's, like, very 2007 mod to me. Like, the way that they are, like, inverting colors. Like, it's the photo booth app that people got on, like, their MacBooks in the 2000s. Um, <laughs> it really is. I, it's 2007. Everyone has just learned about photo booth is what you said yeah, when we watched this last week. <laughs> but also, like, I love that they do that. At the party that's, like, the mod party and where we finally get the side of the 60s that is that, like, um, I don't know. I need any other word for it. but Trippy. Mod. Yeah. And, like, how even, like, that at the time was this sort of, like, ooh, futuristic thing and then immediately looks dated. And I think it's really fun how, like, the the choices that they make for making it seem really futuristic and trippy in 2007 are also immediately dated. And don't worry, they're going to make up for all that with some uh, terrible green screen and being for the benefit of Mr. Kite, but we'll oh. get to that. We'll get to that soon. Oh, how let's, dare let, you? Let's talk about Dear Prudence. <laughs> okay, so um, after uh, Sadie and Jojo are hooking up, Prudence gets sad and they can't get her out of the closet. She's locked herself in a closet. And then they sing Dear Prudence, Won't You Come Out to Play? She's sort of the original R. Kelly when you think about it. For like she locked herself in a closet, not not for any other reasons. <laughs> that's okay. that's sort of a, a confusing thing now. He's really he's really muddied the waters. <laughs> that joke for me. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So I guess I'm the real victim here, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> All right, I love so much of this song. The, I really, Laura, I like the way that you talk about the min max feeling. 
because I love the arrangement of this song. I even really like Evan Rachel Wood's vocals here, and I don't like a lot of her vocals in this musical, but, like, it really works. Um, I love this. We get to meet a bunch of puppets for the first time, and they're all just, like, they're really cool and, like, both ethereal and grounded. Um, And we also see, like, we see them all um, first meeting the protesters who will become plot plot um, parts later. Um, And I love all of those parts. And the only thing that I don't love about it is the whole concept. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Megan, does this fall under the subtlety is gone for you? Yeah, she could have been anywhere except a closet. And it would have been absolutely beautiful. It it, it is it's, absolutely beautiful. The song is gorgeous. I even like when they, yeah, the walls turn into the sky and they're all pretending they can actually yeah. see it, which kind of breaks uh, with what they've been doing. But why is she in the closet? She could be in the bathroom. She loves that bathroom window. Yeah, she could have been through the bathroom window. There's, it's, it's, it's on the nose, like, on two levels because there is the sexuality level and the... Oh, what should we do with the song Dear Prudence once you come out to play? Oh, let's <laughs> let's see if we can get Prudence to come out to play. So, um they meet Dr. Robert and they do I'm the Walrus and then Dr. Robert takes them on his bus. It's wildly them unsafe off in the bus of by field. the way, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Oh my thank god. You. Yes. I mean, the sofa has bungee cords. <laughs> yeah. They had there's a railing around the top. <laughs> they were leaning. <laughs> I like I I do like the idea of a bus with an internal spiral staircase that this one seems to have. I would I would love that bus. Some of the fancier um, mega buses I rode on had that. No, really? I'm just kidding. There's no such thing as a Aww. fancy mega bus. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so they uh they get dropped in a field, and in that field, they they just sort of run a little bit, and then they find a circus. And the circus is led by Eddie Izzard as Mr. Kite. She's doing like a a live sort of it's almost like scatty. Like it's it's very like spoken word, but there is music happening by this is I think the one that is like the biggest as a song, it's the biggest leap from its original song. G- generous of you to call it scatty, and I would call it Robin Williams as the genie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's i mean it's all over the place and i i do i love eddie Izzard, and i've dressed to kill was like a formative stand-up special for me but whatever she is doing here is and i you can really tell that julie tamar let her go in the recording booth because it's, <laughs> it's these all these very eddie Izzard-ish terms of, of phrase that are just like Oh, it's great. They got stuff. Like, that's very Eddie Izzard. It's just like, oh, I can't think of what to say, so I'm going to say something that's nothing because it's funny. And the way that they chose to film it is, I mean, I'm sure it's intentional, the way that the green screen looks so ridiculous. But here's the other thing I want to say. If you were to ask me to rank the Beatles songs on what should be included in a Beatles musical... Being for the benefit of Mr. Kite would be number 213 <laughs> out of 213. <laughs> it is wild uh, that this song is here. I hear that, but also this, like, this version of this song made me love the Beatles version of this song. And, like, I did get there with the Beatles version. And it's not a good choice, but it is the one that I made. 
I love that it's so weird. I okay, so when this movie came out, I had a fight with a friend over uh AIM because uh I don't know if you guys remember that there were two versions of the soundtrack. There was like the full one that had all the 30 songs and like the there's a couple like instrumental one things that are there too. Um and then there was like a a slimmed down, you know, one side like 15 track whatever. And I was talking about how one of the things that I loved about this movie was that they chose, like, some of the more random bits from the Beatles catalog to feature. Um, And my friend was like, yeah, like, let it be. Who had ever heard of that? And it, like, we had this whole fight and then it turned out that it was because he was looking at the short version that's, like, all of the popular songs and I was talking about the longer version. Um. But I, I like I don't I just I like that about this. I like that it's not this feels like the one thing where she's still slapping you in the face. Again, I don't know what Julie Shamor is trying to tell right. me here. But like when you watch Mamma Mia, you're like, okay, they use all the top ABBA songs that you can think of, right? And there's there's presumably nothing left for when they go again um in the sequel. And they're gonna <laughs> have to reuse some stuff. But when you watch this, they like they they really leave some like big hits on the table, and they pick some like really weird choices, which which yeah is is fun that they they pulled some weird things like this. Um, it's such a it's such a wild choice. I I wish I could say it paid off for me, especially again. I could not have been a bitty, bigger Eddie Izzard fan when I saw this movie in theaters, and this movie almost made me hate Eddie Izzard. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I wouldn't go that far, but I hated that song in the movie. Oh. I just, it didn't, for whatever flow or plot we want to gift this movie with having, I just, that didn't fit. <laughs> I, I will, this, this is, <laughs> I will admit that. I think if I didn't love Eddie Izzard as much as I did and do, I, I think I'd have a very different opinion because the animation is so weird and cool, but also creepy. That I think if I didn't love her so much, it would make me so uncomfortable I wouldn't like it. Um, but because every it oozes, like I'll agree, Andy, it oozes mm-hmm. Eddie Izzard. I love it. It just makes me want to watch Yellow Submarine <laughs> instead. So maybe <laughs> maybe that's what I'll make you watch for my birthday. We did we did talk briefly about you said something that was like I can't believe of all of the Beatles movies, this is the one that we're starting with. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the Beatles themselves are in, like, three or four movies. And then there's the terrible Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And there's uh, Yellow Submarine. So, yeah, there's a lot of choices. And this is the one we're starting with. Uh, So then they sing Because in a field. Oh, can I interject? Yeah, they do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When they leave the tent uh, after, uh, 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 for the benefit of Mr. Kite, that's when the movie ends for me. Uh, Because the whole movie (laughs) changes. They leave the tent, the whole movie changes. Uh, wow. it's like clean yeah. line uh, and so wow. for the rest of the movie I'm like alright except for yeah. one song except uh-huh. for one song and I will is that Bono singing again over the credits <laughs> no I do love that fucking note it's so good uh, not even this because uh, you don't like with oh, all the harmonies okay no. wow big raspberry I'm not a valid person listener. yeah no, I, I've never cared that much about because as a song um, but it does it does have some some pretty harmonies here. I love it's nine part harmony and it's a bunch of 
like also this is some of the 2007 of it of it all like we spent a good chunk of that summer laying in a field like it's not it just it, i feel like i very um i related to all of those children we spent a good chunk that of that field. summer you know dancing naked in water you know while a smaller version of our friend prudence da- danced naked just <laughs> above our shoulder okay that's fair i do really love the first half of the song and I'm sorry, I said swimming. What I meant was flying through water. I mean, yeah, we did cool. fly naked through water that summer. We worked at a summer camp. Yeah. We did a lot of this stuff. <laughs> that is also true. <laughs> After the kids were asleep. <laughs> what I love most about the water parts of the song um, are when they come back over the credits because they were like, oh, we didn't get enough. We didn't get enough out of that. Hey, we look, we, to... we spent a whole day making these actors be in the water tank. So we got to use more of this stuff. <laughs> so uh-huh. I hate that song so much and I didn't get to finish I finished like right as she stand oh spoiler right as she's standing on the building top and then it was like boom it was like 753 mm. so I turned it off I haven't seen the credits in many years I literally wrote in my notes about because add nothing should have been the credits <laughs> <laughs> I do think that's true I do think that this is um I excuse it because I happen to like it but it is very much one in a, in a movie that like could stand to lose 30 to 45 minutes like it could just lift right out i admit yeah. that yeah when yeah. we talked about alternate cuts of the movie i'm like just take this whole chunk out there's mm-hmm. 20 minutes right mm-hmm. there um i hate mm-hmm. watching long movies and when i went to rewatch this i was like oh that's that's why i'd never watch this mm-hmm. i have to sit here for two and a half mm-hmm. hours or however long it is yeah it's every movie can lose stuff. 25 minutes that's my rule mm-hmm. every movie mm-hmm. The Fablements, 25 minutes, out. Across the universe, I don't care, any of it. So we're going to transition into uh, Vietnam here because yes. we're going to go to Vietnam. So, um, so our next chunk of songs is Something, Oh Darling, Strawberry Fields Forever, and Revolution. Max leaves for Vietnam. Lucy gets more involved with the anti-war movement. She and Jude are stressed because it's stressful to be adult humans. Uh, but they're still in love enough that Jude sings something, and we see one boob. That's right. This is a this is what that rare movie with a with a PG thirteen boob. This and Titanic are the only ones children. I can make. You. <laughs> <laughs> Sadie gets a chance to go on a solo tour as a headliner, which leads to her onstage song breakup with JoJo and Oh Darling. Mm, it's beautiful. Uh, Jude is jealous that Lucy has a passion for something and processes his feelings by getting high and painting strawberry bombs that become actual bombs while he and Max duet Strawberry Fields Forever. Lucy and Jude have a fight in a laundromat about how much they annoy each other, which Jude responds to by storming the STR, SDR office, which is the student, it sounds like it's whatever, Julie Tamer's, yeah. Um, and yelling at the protesters about how you can't be cool and protest at the same time. <laughs> That's revolution. <laughs> um, so, okay, not to harp too much on the PG-13 boob, but I do want to talk about for a second uh, that Julie Tamor, I read this interview where Julie Tamor talked about that, and she uh, she said that, she, she basically said that, I mean, I, okay, so if, first of all, I do want to say me, Andy, I want to say that 
the MPAA is bullshit and that if you've ever seen the film, this film is not yet rated about the MPAA. It just exposes it for the complete and utter bullshit that it is. But also, so Julie Tamar feels that a rating system that exalts ultraviolence and squashes even the most benign nudie imagery is disgusting and heinous, her words, saying, if it were really the 1960s, all the kids would be naked and my actors wouldn't have to mime smoking marijuana. It's pathetic that we have a culture of values that's become so skewed. And it's just like, I think you're kind of victimizing yourself here, Julie, because you could have done that and you just would have had to make your movie rated R and it would have been fine. Like, but instead she's just like, it's so gross that they made me do this so I could have a PG-13 movie. Like no one said you had to have a PG-13 movie. You could have had a hardcore, (laughs) you could have done the Logan of Beatles musicals. You know what I mean? I get by with a little help from my friends would have been really different. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It wouldn't have been homoerotic. It would have been just been homo. Yeah. No erotic. <laughs> We're more erotic. More, yeah, homo more erotic. More homo. <laughs> people people always talk about no homo. Where's the mo-homo? We want mo-homo. Yeah, mo-homo, less problems. That's what I say. <laughs> um, okay, what, so what's after something? Okay, so something, oh, darling, Sadie and JoJo, I... This one's a hit for me. It's Love so it. good. Yeah, I they, love. Uh, a lot of people hate it because it's it's um sort of a harmonic, I guess you'd call it, where they it's not exactly you know on the beat and it's not exactly the way that you would expect it to go. I, it works for me. We're like moving into a section where it's sort of just like everyone's falling apart, and I do think that this is like her falling apart. Like she like gets there a little bit soon. That's how I was, yeah, thought because I agree. I don't think she's that good. I think she's better earlier she now she <laughs> this is dana fuchs who plays uh sadie and she the, they found her because she played janice joplin in an off-broadway show for two years right before this and so again there's no subtlety to it they were just like find <laughs> me a janice uh and it's her film debut and her um final film she didn't die she just is never in another movie <laughs> That was maybe a weird way to say that. <laughs> maybe. Is this when she first dresses JoJo as Jimi Hendrix, or does she do that earlier? Yeah, it's a little bit before that, but he's definitely on stage yeah. as Jimi Hendrix here. Yeah. And they have a little, like, fight about it, because he's like, no, what is this? Mm-hmm. I just would love a scene where they not, you know, like a scene where, you know, you see a guy off stage and he calls and he's like, Jimmy, it's your cousin, Marvin Hendrix. You know that new sound you've been looking for? Listen to this. <laughs> so then after that, uh, oh. Strawberry Fields Forever. Also, oh, can wait. we just talk about how, what a terrible artist Jude is? His drawings are <laughs> oh my really God. bad. Yeah, okay. Really bad. Like, I, I like the strawberry art, but everything else was garbage. Yeah. There's something, there's like, you see at one point he's been like drawing on the wall in the kitchen. Um, and I like that. There's, it's, it feels very like striking and violent. Um, oh, it looks also, to me like like a psychopath lives there. Like it, it looks. This is a very deep reference, but I'm gonna go for it because I know at least two of you will get it. It looks like um, on Angel when Fred gets back from when they save Fred from from Pylea and she <laughs> she just writes uh-huh. on the walls in her in the, the room that they stick her in because she's an insane person who's been stuck in a hell dimension for five years. I think that that's part of what they're trying. I think they're trying to that's show what us they're trying that to she's losing it. Yeah. Jude's Jude losing was in it. A, Jude's he's, in a hell dimension. You think Jude <laughs> has it when he's in Strawberry Fields Forever? That's not that's no. not a song of a sane person. He's in his own personal Pylea. Or England. <laughs> or England. 
so this is the the counterpoint to the earlier shot where we don't see the uh, joint that they're smoking. Where mm-hmm. in this one, when the song does start, we get this like gratuitously slow-mo. long slow mo yeah. of Jim Sturgis smoking. Andy turned to me and said, "Why? <laughs> like, why? <laughs> what do we get out of this? What?" And and I was like, "I don't." The only thing that I can say is that it's cool. Like, and I was it like, does yeah, it, cool. it does look cool. And that's why Bob Marley did it as the cover for his Legend album. Yeah. And that's why it's been, it's like Julie Tamar's never seen a movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> so she like doesn't know what's, what's been done a million times. Cause she, yeah. oh, I only, I don't have a TV. I just watch plays. I just watch puppets. So next is Revolution. And <laughs> okay. I just. Okay. <laughs> So this has... Wait, okay. I just want to say, I'm not going to try to defend this, except I do, like, if I just listen to it, I do, like, the recording. Yeah, again, Jim Sturgis has a great voice, and he he sounds great here. Um, She's So Heavy is the number one most on-the-nose moment for me. The second most on-the-nose moment in this whole movie for me is how they he finds a picture of Chairman Mao to point at for when they say, if when they go hang in pictures of Chairman Mao... (laughs) And how carefully he keeps saying, all right, as as they're roughing him up. And he's saying, all right, Uh all right. (laughs) I can almost picture her counting how many times they say it and assigning him (laughs) that exact number until he gets thrown down the stairs. (laughs) We, so one of the, we often talk about like, how would we script doctor if if we had the chance to fix this? And like, this is my number one, like, they got to figure out what they're trying to say with protests and uh this song is sort of the the like the pinnacle of that (laughs) yeah because also like jude sort of accuses the guy what's his name paco Paco. of of being a uh a a shagger a dong one um (laughs) and that he that he takes advantage of of young voter i do like dong one but he he really like and he really like leans into it when he delivers it in the movie, but it's still like so unfunny when he says it because of the the like, <laughs> seriousness with which he says it. They're fighting in a laundromat. Exactly. But it's it's never clear to me if that's true or not. If Oh, if... 100%. There's never any men. There's like one dude that punches him at the office. Every mm-hmm. everyone else in the background is women. And then one Black Panther as well. Um, and he does not apologize for ruining their Black Panther party, which I thought was rude. <laughs> Even Forrest Gump did that. Yeah, it's not great. But so, yeah, so those guys are, are just kind of creeps the whole time. Also later, um, maybe I'm this is getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but um, uh, Lucy is going to walk in on them making a bomb that they clearly ordered from Wiley Coyote's Acme catalog. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's got like a clock face and and a, and a like wires coming out of a bunch of sticks. And it's like, okay. Julie, again, Julie, the, the, this movie ping pong so much between a cartoon and a protest movie that it's, I get whiplash. Mm -hmm. Um, so next we have, we're getting we're getting there. Yeah, we're we're, so all, we're we're about fifteen percent of the way through the movie. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so while my guitar gently weeps and across the universe slash helter skelter because those two songs are sort of mash it up together. Um, JoJo performs while my guitar gently weeps over a kind of montage of all the buddies falling apart. 
um, at the end of which we see that Lucy has moved out because Jude was a dick. Um, and then we get this mashup of Jude singing across the universe and Sadie singing Helter Skelter um, while Jude tries to do that thing where you accidentally bump into your ex in a public place. Um, but he does that at a protest and the <laughs> cops turn the protest violent. And so he gets arrested and deported. Yeah. Um, uh, and then he goes back home and discovers that his ex from the opening is having a baby with Neville Longbottom. <laughs> Wait, is saying, it really him? No, it's not. It's really not, him. It's no, not I don't no. think it is. Like, but how much like more than I Yeah, he was busy being Neville Longbottom <laughs> at the time. Um, but uh, I would say the third biggest on the nose moment of the movie for me is when he's singing across the universe. And um, a bunch of Hare Krishnas run through to sing Jai Guru Deva Om. Did you yeah. have to practice that? Ja- no, I just, I just know that song. <laughs> Look, I've heard Fiona Apple sing it, and she didn't have to bring in a bunch of Hare Krishnas to sing it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just not. This is another one that I'm like, script doctor this shit. Yeah. Make it better. These songs, all the songs are great. Um, This is like the one song that JoJo gets to sing, like himself, and it's wonderful he sounds great um, singing it there's there's oddly like not a lot of guitar in it for while my guitar gently weeps um <laughs> but jim sturgis comes in for two lines too and like hey th- those two sound great together it makes me wish that they sang more songs together but it's mm-hmm. like for those two lines it's they sound really good honestly it's martin luther mccoy that plays jojo and he sounds great with everyone he sings with in the movie uh, i don't know okay, he's just got so, a phenomenal voice but yeah what's next so happiness is a warm gun and then Blackbird, and then Hey Jude. And then after that, we're going to be at the ending. Max is back because he was wounded in Vietnam, so now he's dependent on morphine that's delivered by Salma Hayek. Not just one Salma Hayek. Is a warm gun. No, there are five Salma Hayeks. Yeah. Um, that was another thing that I remember reading. She, Salma Hayek gave an interview uh, about when Julie asked her to do this cameo and play a nurse, and she was like, how many nurses do you want me to play? Happiness is a warm gun is like another just very why, but all of it works for me. I love that priest dancing in the The middle. The fourth most on the nose moment of the movie for me (laughs) is when a priest gives a person last rites (laughs) and then that person turns out to not to be dead and they say, Mother Superior, jump the gun. Now, the reason that's ranked fourth, the reason that's ranked fourth is because it wasn't a nun, it was a priest. And why, if you're so concerned about everything being so on the nose, why not just have it be a nun? You know what I mean? But, <laughs> but Joe Anderson just sells that line. And then the priest is the dancing mm-hmm. and the turntable. Like, this is where I'm back. Like, this is the song where I'm like, <laughs> oh. And then I'm out till the credits. Like, I <laughs> love this because I agree, Steph. It's like, it's so uh, on the nose and perfect at the same time. And Soma Hayek. Wow. Wow. What a goddess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. she doesn't even say anything it's like purely a visual cameo i was just trying to remember if she says anything but no she does sing but that's maybe she's oh yeah she's singing okay but it is background vocals to be to be sure but and i want to say i heard that she only had like a day to shoot that whole thing or something just really short so it was just she showed up that's actually pretty impressive she She does a lot of takes yeah yeah because she did she played five nurses she had to do everything five times so after happiness is a warm gun we get blackbird um i have nothing to say i like how how did you i this is the one that i am like actively mad about how did you mess up blackbird yeah 
It's the most boring arrangement of Blackbird that you'll ever hear. Jude is back and in England, and as Andy mentioned, Lucy has like seen some of Paco and his buddies making bombs out of alarm clocks, and so (laughs) she leaves. But one of the bombs goes off, and so June, June, Jude reads a headline that's like these revolutionaries died in a bomb, and he thinks that it's Lucy. Oh no! Um, and we don't ever see the resolution to that. Like it happens off screen i assume he just like calls max and says like hey is your sister dead cool uh but we do get this moment where like the newspaper blows up into a million pieces and then that brings him back to the beach and we just see him sort of like sitting on the beach processing i just like that it comes full circle i think that's where we get um the the jeff beck instrumental of uh a day in the life yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh which who we just lost him like a month ago, I just learned. Uh Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Jeff Beck. So then it's Hey Jude, and Max sings Hey Jude directly to him through a bar mirror. Yeah. Which is a thing you can do. This really Um, is a large clump of just sad sack songs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It really it's it's the sad part of the album. Um Jude returns (laughs) to the US and it's just fine. Like, there's just no problems. I love it. <laughs> he looks a little nervous before they stamp it, right? In fairness, yeah, he like, looks a little nervous. Can I go in? So don't say this movie doesn't have conflict. Right. <laughs> and the moment where Max actually sees him and does the... It's like, it's just so delightful. Like, you can't be mad about it. But so he hops into Max's cab. We go to uh, the rooftop concert, the famous Beatles rooftop concert. No, the um, Beatles don't exist. Please don't say Beatles. Uh, my lawyers no, are here to uh, serve, you the, with a, the, serve you with a cease and the desist. The famous Sadie and JoJo rooftop concert on the rooftop <laughs> of Strawberry Jams. <laughs> That's with right, a with Z. a Z. <laughs> I had not seen that Z before today, and I don't love the Z. I do Zed, like strawberry jams. I don't like it. that Zed. Yeah, so this is so we the songs here are Don't Let Me Down, All You Need Is Love, and Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, technically. Um, they do the rooftop concert, Max and Jude arrive, everyone's there except Lucy, uh, who arrives after the cops, so she can't get up there. The cops take everyone downstairs, but Jude is a great hider, <laughs> and so he stays <laughs> and sings All You Need Is Love. Um, and that solves all the problems. And the cops just just are like, Oh, okay, you can go back then. And Lucy makes it to the rooftop, and they smile at each other, and that's it. That's the resolution to our movie. It is truly, like, the most Julie Tamor does not give a fuck about plot moment. When, like, <laughs> when, when, when the cops come up and they're like, come on, we told you how to get out of here. Stop singing. And then Prudence and Sadie are like, come on, just let him sing. And they're like, all right. <laughs> like, literally, you can see in the background one of them, like, doing an aw shucks arm moment. Yeah. And so, in other words, what you're saying is, uh, Jude got deported. He came back to America, and the very first thing he did <laughs> was get into a dust up with the cops. But he's a good hider. Uh-huh. So, but he's a he's, good hider. He's a good hider. Um, also, I think you know he sort of learned like maybe there aren't long term consequences to pushing back against police action. <laughs> That's probably the message here. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Uh, Prudence is playing on a little toy piano that I just have the feeling is not hooked up into any sound system. They're just like, oh yeah, Prudence, here, you play, you just play on this. And then, and then the movie ends, I don't know if you mentioned this, the movie ends when we see, uh, Lucy across on another building. She's gone to the roof of another building 
and her and Jude lock eyes and smile, and that's the end. Freeze frame. They, this whole Literal movie is about their frame. love story. They don't kiss. They don't. They they don't hug. They don't even touch at the end of the movie. They just see each other. It's um. Mm-hmm. It's a little. It's a little unsatisfying. Yeah, I will admit that. Oh, I don't think so. That look, I kind of love it. Yeah, tell me. Yeah, tell me. I well, love I it. We had the. I just want to hold your hand. You know, they don't even hold hands. We have these little things that it doesn't have to be the huge love scene. They just see each other. He saw her face. I can't be more clear about this. I want this rated R. I don't see them hardcore go at it at <laughs> the end of the movie. Naked? <laughs> Andy, we already saw our boob. Okay. Megan, Megan also, what, pointless what boob. Pointless boob. But also, this is the time uh, for the boob. Right? Megan, I agree with you. It's like it's like the movie's like, you get it. They're gonna they're gonna do it. They're gonna be together forever. So you've seen it. The way they're looking like, at each other mm-hmm. says everything. You know how on Abbey Road, I Want You, She's So Heavy, just sort of ends at one point because Paul McCartney just yeah. cut the tape. That's what the, that's what the ending of this movie feels like. Like, Julie Tamer is like, oh, fuck, we ran out of money. Uh, then they see each other across a rooftop and cut. Oh, we can go to $71 million, right? No, we can't? Oh, shit. Oh, okay. Click. All right, wrap it up. Everybody go home. You know what I do really like that this movie does? Um, and for some reason, the only other one that I can think of in this moment is Pirates of the Caribbean. But, like... It, it has that freeze frame and then the drum kit comes in and it's like boom, boom, boom. And then we get this like really peppy version and it like, it makes you so excited about the credits for some reason. I'm like, hell yeah. And Pirates of the Caribbean does the same thing when he's like, drink up me hearties yo-ho. And you're like, woo, yeah. So I do want to mention that an interview with Julie Tamar in uh, 2020, the, this is Julie Tamar's version of what happened to all the characters after the movie. Ooh. <laughs> Okay. This, is, this is a direct quote Matt from Cannon. Julie Tamar. <laughs> well, who's to say? Uh, Film Matt, Julie, and then we'll talk. Well, <laughs> Max, Max OD'd in Oregon. You lost him after the war. Great. Uh, Prudence went to India and became part of the yoga scene. Jude became a radical graffiti artist. Jojo and Sadie got married, had children, but they split and he became more into funk. And Lucy went off to Asia as a journalist and became involved in what was going on there. So it's just as interesting as the plot of this movie was. So that <laughs> does check out to me. The, the the biggest part of that that I have a problem with is Jude becoming a radical anything because his <laughs> whole thing in this movie is Fuck like these radicals. how annoyed he, yeah. Yeah. yeah like, like literally he says, uh, I don't believe in care. anything. Yeah. 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 He's, his apathy. She. I swear to God she said in another interview in 2020 that a sequel was coming and that she had taught that Jim Sturgis and Evan Rachel Wood were going to reprise their characters. And that's like, who's paying for this, Julie? Who do you think is going to pay for this? Because you, by all accounts, you owe a, a movie studio $35 million. <laughs> um, we talk about what it would be like to remake this movie again. And, and if there's anything in particular that we'd want to fix or anything that you want to put into it. Um, again, this is a movie that is like, I don't know, it just feels like a, a sinking ship with a lot of different holes in it. And so it's it's hard to know what to fix and what not to fix. Uh, because some of those holes are there on purpose. Those are those are bug those are features, not bugs. They're artful holes. <laughs> yeah. That's the name of my other album that's coming out. Um, uh, anything that you would want to do in a remake of this? All the roles played by Bono. <laughs> Except there's I mean all Bono. I mean, I don't hate that idea. You know, it's like what Jonathan Majors is doing in the Marvel Universe right now, but just all a bunch of Bonos. <laughs> the Council of Bonos gets, to get <laughs> gets together to, to be all the characters in this movie. 
Didn't you know? There are like ten of them. They share. Well, we since we talked about this movie for almost as long as this movie, what what if we just move on <laughs> to our final feature here? Yeah. Which is um that uh you know when they remake a musical they always do one thing which is they add in a new original song in order to get that uh best original song Oscar nomination right that's what you want to get and so if we were to remake this movie uh, I wanted to come up with one more song to add into it and it, it w- I get the easy way out would have been to just take another Beatles song and throw it in there but that wouldn't meet the qualifications for the best original song Oscar so I had to write something new I went ahead and wrote something new. Uh, to add into this. And I'll tell you guys what my first idea was. Um, and it was, and and I thought it was sort of too on the nose. Uh, and it was, um, what if Paul McCartney made a cameo and played like a Beatle, like an actual Beatle, right? Like, that'd be funny. Like, you just sort of zoom way in. Um, and then I realized that like, um, oh, there's no such thing as two on the nose for Across the Universe. So I just went with that idea. Um, and so that's that's what the song is. Uh, this is called Beatlemania as performed by Paul McCartney. One other thing I'll say before I get into it is that you may notice, the eagle-eared listener may notice that I put the name of every Beatles album into the lyrics of this song just to sort of show how easy it is to do something like that and it not be like, uh, you know, obvious or really uh, on the nose or just like sticking out, you know, so like a sore thumb. So, so you may notice that it, it may not, it may be, you know, too subtle for people to notice. But if not, uh, this is the song Beatlemania uh, for Across the Universe. Here it is. I'm a beetle, I'm a little bitty beetle Crawling all over your floors and your feet Shake my six hands, it's so nice to meet you Don't be scared, I ain't trying to eat you Please, please, me no one fight Make peace with the beetles, we do not bite If you kill us, you'll regret not being polite Your beauty sleep will be a hard day's night We're beetles for sale and you can put us on your shelf I'm asking you for, and there's no other way to say it, help. Well, you must be scared, and I don't blame you. Your house is infested with Beetlemania. Oh, save my little rubber soul, can't you? You have nothing to fear from Beetlemania. Tango un revolver que es de España. Por favor, no temas Beetlemania. Are you getting all these references? Because I can explain to you. This is all part of Beetlemania. And also there's, and also my favorite, my favorite album is Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band. So, so don't <laughs> kill me here. Here, look at this photo album of me family. Wait, this photo album's blank. It's more of a white album, white album. a.k.a. The Beatles. If you kick us out, we'll have to take a yellow submarine down to Abbey Road. That's where me mum lives. And me beetle wife, Heather Mills the Beetle. She's got, well, five legs, doesn't she? And me daughter, Stella, who's a fashion designer for Beatles, do to do. And the fifth Beetle, George Martin. Beetlemania lives forever. <coughs> oh. I guess. Paul really is dead this time. And then he dies, and that's that's pretty much the size of it. Uh, Grim turn! I, 
I just, you know, <laughs> as, as I was thinking about how, one of the things I really, Laura, think I gained in, in the, the six years that I did improv and that the, I think improv really can give you is you're not afraid to look like an idiot anymore. <laughs> and that okay. really came in handy when I was recording this song as Paul McCartney today. <laughs> I love to think about what our neighbors think your job is. Yeah, I, I think about that all the time. They're just like, what is he? What does he do though? <laughs> but um I, maybe you guys were able to pick out where I put the names of all the albums in there. <laughs> uh so yeah. The echo really there. helped. The what album boom boom. Um well it's a great time to tell you guys that if you're looking for all the songs that we do here on Musical the Movie the Podcast, there's only one place you can find them, and that is our Patreon at patreon.com slash dumbfun, which is the Patreon for the whole Dumb Fun family of podcasts, which includes Musical the Movie the Podcast, Fanny Falls Demon Hunter, which still only has one episode left, and uh, as well as 30 characters, the uh, improv aganza that I do with Joe Fernandez and Matt Riggs, which we just had our... 50th episode with Sarah Shockey. It's a really wild time. A lot of fun. And uh, check that out. And uh, with that all out of the way, uh, Laura, is there something that you'd like to plug coming up? Um, yeah. If you live in the St. Louis, or you're going to be in the St. Louis area. Game day is going to be one of the house team night uh, features uh, on Friday nights. And if we are not up because it rotates, uh, we're not up. Other people are going to be up and it's going to be amazing. The in, in Memphis, there was like three improv teams in the whole city. And Andy and I were on two of them. Um, in in st louis there's like literally dozens if not hundreds of just incredible teams and i i show up when i got nothing else to do even if i don't have a show and just watch and it's just i don't know it's really rad community really proud of it that was you know when i moved to chicago i was like oh they have improv covered here so (laughs) i'm just gonna focus on stand-up uh megan anything that you want to plug yeah i forgot to do this um I don't perform, so I would plug going to see any type of performance. I have tickets to like traveling Broadway shows in Milwaukee where I live, and it's just wonderful. And obviously nice. seeing uh, great comedy, like our, our two hosts and guests here, always a good time too. So go see something I can't and believe, have fun. Well, I, can't, I can't believe that we didn't mention this, but Steph and I uh, went to a uh, the Tory and Broadway production of Les Miserables last night here in Chicago. Uh, it was a wild time at the I was theater. Bawling during the prologue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really good stuff. It came. Uh, Steph, what would you like to? Really good. Oh yeah, <sighs> I, I recommend it to anyone uh, who can see it. Great cast, great mm-hmm. stuff. I went to Milwaukee uh, to see a Bob's Burgers show, so it's the Milwaukee oh, full circle. <laughs> that's kind of a musical. I bet they did songs. They did. It was really fun. Uh, Steph, I would like to plug doing live readings of plays or poems or uh, just like a book or story um, in your living room just because you feel like it because you're reading something and you're saying this would be better out loud. I think you should just do it. I have the opposite of that with Across the Universe where I'm like, I bet this would be better, like quieter. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let me just mention uh, March 3rd and 4th, uh, which is, uh, by all accounts, this weekend. Uh, I'll be in Louisville uh, playing Garth Brooks at the Roast of 90s Music. And uh, then that Sunday, coming right back to Chicago and playing um, Indiana Jones in the Roast of Steven Spielberg uh, at the Laugh Factory. So uh, if you want to come to that, hit me up. Uh, in the Chicago one, I can get you comps. The Louisville one, buy tickets, you assholes. <laughs> and um, 
and I guess I'll just do that. I'm at the Laugh Factory throughout the month, but uh, oh, and I'm a, I'm at Paper Machete uh, on March 12th, uh, probably doing a character, and I, I'm not allowed to say who is going to be there, so I'll just say that you should be there if you can, um, because there is going to be someone very special there. Um, and uh, with it's that, me. all out of the way, I'm going to be there. Yes. Um, <laughs> With that all the way, Megan, Laura, thank you so much. What a delight to uh, talk to you guys. Thank you. Thank you for thank y'all you for, are incredible. I hope that I hope that you didn't feel too much like uh, you're like watching a couple have a whisper fight at a party. <laughs> <laughs> as, as Steph and I come to loggerheads about this movie. Um, but uh, what a delight to have you guys. And we actually don't know uh, what we're going to be next. So um, I just we, realized that we haven't talked about that yet. We forgot to figure out what movie we're doing next. Editor's note, it's going to be The Music Man, 1962, a classic. And while I have you here, check out our Patreon for Oscars the Movie the Podcast, a special Oscars edition of the podcast that me and Steph did. And we'll be back in two weeks with another one. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Musical the Movie the Podcast. Musical the Movie the Podcast. Musical the Movie the Podcast with Andy and Steph. Boom, dum.